From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Philosopher Gabriel Marcel says that there is an important distinction between problems, puzzles, and mysteries. You know you are dealing with a problem if, after enough time and enough people, it gets solved. You know you are dealing with a puzzle when, if you get enough eyes and creativity around the table, Pieces begin to turn a little differently, and you begin to see things lock into place. Problems can always be solved. Puzzles can always be put together. But mysteries? Well, mysteries are always mysteries. What is it that you are supposed to do with a mystery? (laughs) Mysteries are no fun to utilitarians. Mysteries can only be marveled. They can only be wondered. And as soon as you try to get your hands on it, you've missed the whole point. So when Colossians, as Maya read for us today, says things like the sun is the image of the invisible God. And all things in heaven, all things on earth, all things visible, all things invisible, were made through the Son. And the fullness of God is pleased to live in the one crucified. Is that a problem to solve? Is that a puzzle to put together? Or is this a mystery beckoning us further into wonder? Now, I know mainline Christianity has tricked you into thinking that right about now, I will do a little historical critical sleight of hand and say... Calm down in the Greek, it all makes sense. And I'm about to lay it on you and it'll all click into place. Just give me about 12 minutes. Or you might think, well, you know, it's a mystery, so I'll never think about it again. It's a mystery. Now, when faced with mystery, I find that we are tempted often to despair because we really like to be in control. 
and mysteries scare us. We like to have things figured out. We like to have things neatly explained. And this is the trouble with explanations. As soon as you can explain something, what can you do with it? Explain it away. And now we never have to be bothered by that again. We figured it out. This is why St. Augustine, who, if you've taken a class with me, know he's not really someone that I'm uh, fond of all that often. But to this point, I'm giving him an amen. St. Augustine says, if you can explain God, whatever it is that you have just explained, I promise you, is not God. We're talking about the living God today with this bizarre text, Colossians, that says the fullness of God lives in the one crucified by the empire. What I want to encourage you to do today, rather than being faced with this very dense mystery of God coming to be with us, and rather than letting that mystery sink you deeper into despair and saying, well, I guess I'll just never understand it. Instead, let this mystery push you towards doxology. Doxology is praising God. Instead of looking into a mystery and feeling hopeless, today is the day when you can look at mystery and let it transform our despair into doxology. The Son is the image of God. Now, the image of God language is language from Genesis. And if you haven't read the Bible ever or in a while, this is how the book opens. And John Baer points out this really fascinating shift in the poem. It starts with a cadence that lulls you into expectation. Let there be light, and there was... Let there be firmament, and there was. Let there be waters, and there were. Let there be vegetation, and there was. Let there be creatures, and there were. But then it shifts. You would expect it to say, let there be humanity. And there was humanity. But if you know the text, that's not actually how it goes. It lulls you into this deep cadence to shift it on you. Once it gets to humanity, it says, oh, but if, we're, if there's going to be a human, if we're going to have to like make humanity here, that's something that has to be made. You can't just call a human into being. We are going to have to roll up our sleeves and make a human. Let there be to let us make. To make a human in the image of God. What is the image of God? Jesus Christ comes out wearing a crown of thorns and purple robe and Pilate says, Behold, Anthropos. Behold, human. That's the human one. Jesus Christ, in theological speak, is the prototypical human. 
We think we know what a human is, and then we turn to Jesus and say, now does he fit? Instead, what we're invited to do is to look deeply at Jesus Christ and say, oh, that's what a human is. Oh, we start there as our understanding of what it is to be truly human. Colossians says the Son is the image. We are made in the image. Jesus Christ is the image. And it ends by identifying the Son as the one who was crucified. This is a way of resisting anyone who would want to separate something like a cosmic Christ from a historical Jesus. It's also a way of resisting our desire to have Jesus Christ without a cross. Why is it important to not separate those? Well, I thus draw your attention to the late great preacher, theologian, James Cone. In a few of his works, particularly Black Theology and Black Power, he says, racism is a complete denial of the incarnation and thus of Christianity. And if you read Speaking the Truth or if you read The Cross and the Lynching Tree, he presses us further, us specifically being the modern church, back into the early church. The early church has no Jesus other than a crucified Jesus. Professor Cohn says, stop being embarrassed that the crucifixion is some outdated idea. It is God's very critique of violent oppression. And it is a transformation of our worst violence into God's true power. And what he does is he forces us to recognize that the cross makes us behold a difficult juxtaposition of both beauty and brutality together in double vision. I mean, never forget that in the Acts of the Apostles, it says that Jesus died because he was hanged from a tree. And Preacher Cone pushes any form of Christian theological imagination back into a cruciform shape. Because as soon as you can make your Jesus cosmic or uncrucified, you're actually doing what Peter did. Oh, Lord, you'll never have to be crucified. No, 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 don't worry about that. We'll, we'll take care of them. And that's the one thing that... Jesus says, no, that's satanic to separate me from cross. Get behind me. That doesn't work. It's only a crucified Jesus. Because otherwise we lose all of our theological teeth for resisting evil, injustice, and oppression in Jesus Christ's name. Jesus is just the, the ooh, that's out there. No, Jesus Christ is the one who came and was crucified under Pontius Pilate. In Jesus Christ, the crucified one, we see the fullness of God. We see God holding nothing back from us. This is the God who said, I know that you would have preferred for me to stay vague. You would have preferred for me to stay aloof. You would have preferred for me to stay far away. 
You would have preferred to just look up at the night sky or a sandy beach and say, we can come up with some good ideas about who God is. Surely look at how beautiful creation is. And then maybe we can get together with other like-minded people and every Sunday have the preacher just kind of pat us on the head and say, yeah, we all kind of walked in believing these things, right? And we still believe that even more now that we're here. And Good. Let's get, up, get back out there and keep being the same kind of people we've always been. But Jesus Christ says, I'm not doing vague. I'm coming down. All the way down. I will be so unvague that you will be tempted to look at me and say, there is no way that a crucified Jew is the image of God. That just could not be. That is how unvague I will be. The living God is determined to be with us no matter what. What was the promise of God? Throughout the entire Old Testament, I will be with you, you will be my people, I will be your God. Now, I think you can take that as a promise or a threat, personally. And it's kind of up to you to determine if it's good news or bad news. But see, God coming to be with you really has nothing to do with your choice. It's God's free choice to be with you. I mean, have you ever gotten a call from your supervisor or a family member and they say, I'm coming over. And you think, oh, lovely. Are you really ready to be with a God who will not stay vague? Just imagine what it would be like to continually hear from God, I'm going to be with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. No matter what, you can count on it. So whether you take it as a promise or a threat, the message is that God is coming to be with you. I mean, what do we call Jesus at Christmas time? Emmanuel. With us is God. And once you look into the heart of God and you see that God has shown God's heart to us, we discover that all that God wants is to be with us. And that is such a profound mystery because I'm not sure any of us really know what it's like to be in relationship where the only goal is simply to be with one another. Not really. All you and I know are power moves. Always positioning, always jockeying, always figuring out how I can get out of you what I want. Negotiating, adjusting, positioning, triangulating. I'm going to give a little bit here, and we know one day I'm going to ask for a little bit back. God says, I'm not going to relate to you that way. God calls a judgment upon that whole way of relating. And instead, God comes to be with us. And God says, the only thing that I want out of you is to be with you. And if you really let that sink in, that may be why you hate God in some ways. How dare God not demand anything from you other than your presence? Only a living God. 
You cannot adjust this God. You cannot control this God. You cannot maneuver this God. You cannot manipulate this God. You cannot do anything other than be with this living God. I mean, so often we talk about Jesus' coming in terms of what he does for us. And believe me, Jesus Christ does many things for us. So often, I think perhaps part of our, you know, I know that sometimes some people in this community come with an allergy to talking about the cross because of a former religious community that you were in. Could it be that part of the allergy that you have picked up about talking about the cross is because the cross was only ever talked about what God was doing for you and what you ought to do for God in light of that. But not once does Jesus Christ on the cross say, look at what I'm doing for you. In fact, what he does say on the cross is to the terrorist crucified next to him, today you will be with me. We, in our theological endeavors, have turned the cross into a for, but it was always about being with. And we discover in Jesus' death just how determined this God is to be with us all the way. Colossians says that not only do all things in heaven and on earth find their beginning in this crucified God, but all things are held together. And I just got to wonder, how many of you came today because life really doesn't feel like it's held together at all right now? It just feels like your life is spilling out everywhere and there's no way to keep it together. Hemorrhaging time, money, relationships, opportunities. My prayer for you today, even now, is you will discover a gentle God in Jesus Christ who even now is holding you together along with everything in heaven and everything on earth. And I hope that as you discover you and your life being held, you will be led out of despair into wonder. Jesus Christ on the cross is God's deepest desire come true. That God has determined never to be other than to be with you you in Jesus Christ. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.